I'm Ryan Lichten here with Parks Miller. Uh, last week we covered, hey. yeah, we, we, we covered a duo of soulmates. I think I just missed you while you were gone, so I started doing all these dumps about just like two we guys had, yeah. sharing a connection, you know? Two, two guys sharing a connection. We had Siegfried and Roy, and now we've got Brokeback Mountain. It's just yes. about, I missed you too, Ryan, and that's really <laughs> sweet. And I, I, I see the message that you're sending with these two I wish dumps. I knew how to quit you! Yeah. Um... I just want to say uh, shout out to your brother for oh. creating this incredible yeah. song. The new rendition. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a reason yeah. before that. And, and we're going to. So we started at the top with like a little like clip of uh, my brother, Connor, do, who, if you guys are Patreon subscribers, he was on our episode about the most violent video games ever made. But um, he like. Yeah, he just whipped up that awesome thing. But at the end of the episode, we're going to play, like, the entire thing uh, just so you can have it. But there's a reason why he even did that for me or why I even thought that. And, uh, you know, with this dump, like, I feel like at every corner there was an opportunity for a distasteful joke. And we we dodged them because uh, we, we don't want to mm -hmm. be insensitive, uh, you know, in any way. It's not necessarily what we do here, which is funny to say because, like, we just tend to tear everything that we ever talk about completely apart. But yeah. we're not we're not making but, uh, any like uh, any of the easy jokes here. Well, and, and that's actually, I think, the dump of Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Is I mean, it was a movie that was incredibly popular and it was the jokes that kind of make it a dump and we're going to really get into it. But so, so yeah, I mean, really it is, um, yeah. Making the jokes is so easy. I mean, maybe a joke or two will happen. Yeah, I mean, there are out. some funny moments even in the movie, sure. but just kind of that, the general reaction that is, you know, usually a little to a lot homophobic of like, Ew. Like, that's kind yeah. of the general thing. <laughs> yeah, what? ew two, is the whole thing. Two yeah. gay cowboys, you know? So, yeah, that's... That's gonna, it. So, this is a great... This is a great dump, by the way. It's a good dump. Yeah, this no, is, I, I was stoked on it, uh, for, for sure. So, why yeah. is Brokeback Mountain a dump? Well, Brokeback Mountain is a dump because it was a beautiful film that should have been an instant cultural landmark, but instead was made into a proto-meme by the media, which took away any chance it had at making the initial impact that it should have. This film shined a light on the rampant homophobia of not only the film industry and media, but also the American public. The film was ahead of its time, which is silly because it came out in 2005 when the issues surrounding it should have long been laid to rest. In retrospect, many LGBTQ historians and film historians have recognized the film's importance as well as the problems that the film presented. Again, I will say, let me, I, I just want to say that I do think that there was this reaction that might have taken away some of the impact. And personally, like, the, I hadn't seen this movie until we did, you know, I saw it two days ago in preparation yeah. for this. Alone. Um, and it was a it was it's a, a really good movie. And so maybe in part, I will say maybe because of the jokes, I yeah, I don't know. Like there could have been a part of me that was like, oh, that's like not a movie for me or something. So I will agree with that. Right. But I do think that it did also still it wasn't completely taken away. And I think that there is something about the movie that for people who were maybe in the closet that kind of like found some sort of way of still watching this movie. So I do think it had a positive impact as well. Right. And for me, you know, when, when I saw it, cause I saw it when it came out, um, I'm going to tell the story r real quick, but 
like you know i i was interested in in films and and you know like cultural landmarks and, and, and things of, of that nature. So when it came out though, it wasn't like the kind of thing when you and your boys skate down to blockbuster after school to like rent a movie. You're not like, Oh, let's, let's grab this. Like it was something you, if you wanted to watch it, you kind of had to, uh, like watch it like without any of your friends knowing because you didn't want them to raise an eyebrow at you. You know, it's different times. And especially when you're a teenager, you know, um, but when this especially film, if you're a teenager, yeah, right. Yeah. And when this film came out, I was on vacation uh, with my family and my brother and I were sharing a, a, a hotel room and my parents were like, okay, you guys can like, you know, pay-per-view a movie. And they had that. And I really wanted to see it. So I tell my little brother, I'm like, Connor, we're going to watch this movie, and it's a big deal, and I don't want any fucking jokes. I don't want to make any jokes. I just want to sit here and watch it, and then we can talk about it when it's over. And so we're sitting watching this, and, like, I mean, it's heavy. But if it was heavy for me, it was definitely heavy for, like, my 12-year-old brother who had no, like, cultural reference of any of the stuff, like, presented in the movie. And I remember looking over at him, like, at the end, thinking that he was going to say, like, that sucked or that was boring. And there's, like, a tear in his eye, and he's like, that was really sad and like which like, I was not yes. surprising and then we get home and my brother had just started taking guitar lessons around that time and I walk by his room and I hear the theme song like he like from ear yes. like started playing it so years later he got the to record song, yeah. his own version of it yeah. which is uh thank which is you great. Connor that yeah as someone who had just watched it and then Ryan sent me the audio and then when it yeah, when it goes metal, it's perfect. It's, it's fucking so beautiful. Perfect. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. beautiful. So yeah. let's take a trip to the mountains. When the announcement was made that a film about the romantic relationship shared by two cowboys starring two of Hollywood's most promising young actors was in production, the media and public alike lost its shit. From the beginning, the film was plagued by homophobic jokes, negative speculation, and rumors. But why and where did this film come from? Well, Brokeback Mountain was originally a short story written by Annie Prue. The story was originally published in The New Yorker in 1997. It went on to win several literary awards and was a finalist for the 2000 Pulitzer Prize in the fiction category. Really, really highly regarded short story. Okay. Like, from the start, this thing is getting accolades. Like, it, again, it's so funny mm -hmm. to me that, like, my memories of this film coming out where everyone, like, talking shit about it and being like, yeah, like, ew. You know, when, well, like, it's already, before it was even a movie, it won a ton of awards. Right. And I think that that is, we should definitely make the distinction of our age in which the movie came out. Yes. And I would, because we were. I was like 14, you know, 15 years old. Yeah, exactly. So that is a time when something like this, you could potentially react to it in a very immature way or, you know, people around you or like that's kind of the thing. And obviously it was happening from adults and critics and people in the establishment, too. Um, but I could I also think that, you know, if you were in your 20s or 30s, you know, you might be like, oh, this this sounds great. I'm excited for this to happen. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, no. the, but the larger like to me, the, it was kind of like getting a brown bag magazine or something, really, like even though it's not like yeah, smut the, or anything, but the the idea of like peeking in at something that like, you know, your friends like would all, you know, your skate friends being like, oh, that's gay. This is gay. You know, it's like, yes, but wanting exactly. to see this very much, film, you know, it was very much in that era where like that it was kind of like, Oh, that's gay, but I don't mean like. Yeah, that's no, a bad, I wouldn't, I like wouldn't say that to a gay guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was like, that was kind of sort of. I mean, the tail end of that. I think, but maybe around this time, I was starting to feel weird a little about more saying like, that. Yeah, like maybe I shouldn't just say that all the time. Um, but it's kind of on the t like that in that era for sure. Right. And, you know, your teenage years, it's your time of self-discovery and things. And, you know, I had questions about my own self and seeing this film was like kind of a way to explore, uh, you know, the what they called in like the 20s through the 40s, the twilight life, um, which is funny that the twilight <laughs> life was used to describe like, you know, gay lives back then. And then uh, now twilight, the movies are the perfect thing that a 15 year old would say was gay. Uh, you know, yes. it, it comes full circle. Um, and. So and there I, are going to be some Ryan, spoilers I, yeah. too. 
uh, by the way, we're gonna we're gonna tell you what happens. In this we're gonna talk thing. about the movie in its entirety. Yeah. So, yeah. Brokeback Mountain follows the lives of two roughneck cowboys, Ennis Del Mar and Jack Twist. Ennis Del Mar is a roughneck cowboy named Jack Twist. Is the name of a character that would be in a movie like Brokeback Mountain. Okay. But <laughs> they work yeah. together one summer herding sheep at Brokeback Mountain, a fictional location set in Wyoming. Over the course of the summer, the two grow close, and eventually on one fateful night, the men become physically intimate, a.k.a. they bang. And as the summer ends, the men go their separate ways, reuniting sporadically over the course of the next two decades until the tragic death of Jack Twist. Now, Annie Prue, she got this idea um, sitting in a dive bar in Wyoming, and there was a bunch of guys playing pool, and she saw this one lonely cowboy at the end of the bar kind of longingly watching them. And she kind of mm. had this idea, well, maybe – you know, he's seeing like this male interaction. He's kind of longing for a life where he could truly be himself. This is all just going through her head. She's a great writer, and that's how great writers work. You see a moment in time, and you can create like a, An entire story a world-changing from it. book over yeah. it, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. th that's where it comes from. And like the storyline you know, it goes like they each get married, uh, they they have kids, and but they keep coming back, and Jack Twist is a little mm -hmm. more like and we'll get into this later, but, like, critics have said, well, Jack Twist is obviously, like, the gayer one, so to speak. You know, kind of more well, confident in his thing, whereas Ennis he's the keeps one, it in. He's, yeah, he's, Jack Twist really, he's ready to kind of, he he wants to give up the facade of being, yeah. like, a straight man. And he, he loves Ennis, and he wants to just, he's like, let's get a place together and... Like, let's stop pretending like we have wives that we, you know, we're not really in love with. We have children. We're like, we're pretending to be these like straight, normal guys. And Ennis is kind of like, even though he's still in love with Jack, he's very much he's like, like, going you, to uphold. Yeah, I he's going to uphold. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's in it kind of in denial or he's just like it's literally it would never happen and i mean i think that's a big theme of the movie is just that the fact that especially in these scenarios you're talking like the 60s you're talking men but then you're also talking with cowboys you are talking about an even more like conservative sort of rigid male society right. i mean because even in the 60s you were starting to have you know, in, in like urban areas like New York and San Francisco, LA, where people were actually starting to be more open and experiment with those things. But this is like going and, and it's also, I think part of the success is because it's going after the cowboy, which right. for such a long time the was like thing. the kind sign of, <laughs> of kind of, no, that's what's so, so interesting. Yeah. The cowboy, there's always been these, like, you can always find these sort of queer, like sort of elements within it but it's always it's traditionally been presented as the the hyper masculine like the hero of america i mean right. like the whole like late 1800s until the industrial revolution like the cowboy was this like mythical the frontier manly yeah. american creature and that also just kind of by it just was heteronormative by default sure and like you know but, but yeah, also, there is those tons of queerness, you know, within it. And that's kind of what, you know, what's that guy Orville Peck? Like, that's his right. whole vibe. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. a gay cowboy. You know, it, and it, there's exactly. others before him. There's others before sure. him. I mean, there was real gay. I mean, there's also, um, I forgot their name. It's called like the Lavender, Lavender Country. Yeah. yeah. Lavender Country. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of stuff like that. But so. yeah, it takes place in 1963. So like Stonewall, the, the Stonewall riots, you know, that takes place in 1969. This film takes place over the course of 20 years. So by the time it gets to the end, when it's the 80s, like there's a huge movement for gay liberation. Again, you know, it happens on the outskirts mm -hmm. of the continent moving inward. So they're still so far removed from that. I but there is kind I of will, this. Yeah. There's an evolution mm -hmm. in Jack Twist character where he, yes, is becoming more and more confident and more and more comfortable mm -hmm. with the idea of just throwing everything away and laying all his cards on the table for this. Whereas Ennis, like his character always comes across where it's like, we cuddle, we kiss, but I ain't gay. Like that's kind of like, yeah, yeah. that's like a famous line is like after they, after they have sex for the first time and they're like, I ain't gay. I'm like, I ain't gay either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, okay. um, I, I will say the movie, I, I actually, it didn't even occur to me that it was in the 60s. Like there seemed, and I guess maybe it was just sort of saying that in these parts of the country, like things aren't necessarily 
like developed. It is not. It's not. Yeah, it's gonna. It's taking a lot longer for more progressive whatever ideas to come about. So yeah, I didn't even honestly realize that that much time had passed in the movie. Yeah, um, but <laughs> well, that yeah, makes, but exactly. that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So like the only way you really can tell is because like their kids get older. Um, but the film, the main right. theme is isolation and loneliness. These two guys mm-hmm. like. They're so alone, even though they're yes. like living with a family and they go out and they have friends. It doesn't matter because like they don't feel like they're in the right place. And that's the whole thing. So the story mm-hmm. immediately caught the attention of screenwriter Diana Osana, who shared it with her writing partner, Larry McCurdy. Larry, dude, McCurdy. Now that's a fucking cowboy's name. Or no, Mick Murdy, <laughs> not McCurdy. Mick Murdy, yeah. Still, the Murdy part. <laughs> so, or Mur- Murtry? Larry McMurtry. Larry McMurtry. <laughs> All right. God damn it. Uh, the duo decided to reach out to Peru, who gave the team permission to adapt the story into a screenplay. Osana had experience writing westerns, which at its heart, Brokeback Mountain is. The term for it is neo-western, yes. where it's yes western themes but set in a more modern time so you're not talking like swinging door saloons but you're talking you know roughneck cowboys in in the middle of rural wyoming you know country music cowboy boots but it's it's now you know like urban cowboy would be another one you have pure country with george Strait. that these are all terrible examples compared to brokeback mountain but like (laughs) yeah but no there is something it is it definitely has it's a western and i will say that it even it reminded me of a lot of more even just like straight movies like straight western movies like movies where the protagonist is straight yeah um and i think and i actually was like researching where like i think that there was an interesting thing of some criticism about how in some ways the movie wasn't even gay um right. <laughs> even though that's what they're doing um because i think that there was like a famous quote when the movie came out um like asking the director ang lee like you know, so are these men gay? And the director was like, no, they're just human. Yeah. You know, yeah, and like something like love, that, where it's almost yeah. like, it was almost like, no, it still can't, even though, I mean, there it's two men very much in love with each other, but there is something about it that, yes, it's not necessary. Because they're not throwing themselves to the life that they want to live. They're, they're restricting it. And so there's like this whole battle yes. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. the whole thing. And in 2008, uh, Prue, the author of the story, said that she regretted ever writing the story, period. Not just giving permission to have it be made into a movie because of the amount of awful fan fiction that she receives. <laughs> like, mostly from men who uh, who keep saying like, like, this is how it really should be, and then it's just like a dick sucking contest. Like, or it's just like, like, like they should have had an orgy with like a bunch of other farmers. Like, that's what would have happened. Or it's just like, well then, like, what if they did move? And then like, they like open up a bathhouse. Like, people would just send her like this crazy erotic fan fiction she's like i never asked for this (laughs) like what the fuck (laughs) but uh Speaking of That's awful so fan fiction, I will get to my uh, fan fiction idea yeah, for a, a sequel yeah. later. <laughs> I like this idea, but yeah, we got to get a little further. Into <laughs> yeah. So after the Osana and McMurtry <laughs> finished their screenplay, they began the grueling process of finding not only a director who would take it on, but producers that would fund it. Though the cinema world went through somewhat of a lavender renaissance in the 1990s with films like But I'm a Cheerleader, The Watermelon Woman, My Own Private Idaho, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Paris is Burning, Philadelphia, Boys Don't Cry, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, New- Julie Newmar, Bound, and Edge of Seventeen, one of my personal favorites. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. Wow, it's what a list! Uh, what and a list. that's not all of them. Those are just to me like the biggest and like kind of most impactful. But it was mm-hmm. still considered taboo to release a mainstream film with homosexual themes, especially one that was not attempting to be sensational, exploitative, or funny. So basically, the right. way it went with gay films Mm -hmm. back then was if it was a drama it had to be about AIDS if it was about lesbians it had to be sexy and if it wasn't either of those things it had to be funny which generally just meant straight actors being in drag right that's that's definitely yeah I mean you know Philadelphia is like the AIDS thing and yeah and it was kind of this thing where like yes it's bringing to light this very important you know I mean the AIDS you know, crisis was a huge deal. And so obviously it feels like good fodder 
for a movie and it's in a very important subject but then it kind of became almost a cliche of like okay well let's like have a gay AIDS story because that's a guaranteed tearjerker you know um and then you have like then you also were kind of having like okay yes like there was more of an acceptance but then you start immediately having this like token gay character well also if you movies. were a celebrity you couldn't come out necessarily openly as gay at like throughout the 90s and be guaranteed to still have your success so most of these movies you know had a straight cast portraying gay characters which is a problem right. that a lot of the lgbtq critics have with brokeback mountain but we'll get there yes. but it was just I because the watermelon like, you couldn't woman do it is, watermelon yeah. woman is different i mean is there different. are but yeah exceptions. like priscilla Paris or uh, Priscilla well, and Paris and burning is different too. Right. But yeah, like, yeah. Even nowadays, D Dallas Buyers Club, great example. You know, obviously yeah. Matthew McConaughey's character was not gay, but you had Jared Leto portraying a trans woman yeah. and that became mm -hmm. a, a, a thing as well, you know? And, and there's all sorts of weird sticky gray area with that where it's like, well, if you mm -hmm. have a trans actress, like, do they want, like, would you rather have them play just a woman and that's it? Or do you want right. a trans actress to play a trans character? And that kind of right. like makes it very clear. So it's still a sticky thing. It, yeah. I think on one hand, I would say I would say on one hand, you know, having a gay actor play the role kind of like gives them like, yes, I get to play this role because I am gay. But then also in some of these instances, you know, it even if it's not the most perfect way, but sometimes having these straight actors do it. Um, or straight seeming, then it kind of it can allow for just like a greater understanding, you know, yeah, in, in a mainstream acceptance. Like I will say, and we talked about this on a Patreon, but uh, Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. We talked about that on a Patreon episode. I saw that movie last year, and I was bawling. Like that movie is beautiful. <laughs> like I cried multiple times during that movie. And again, like I hadn't seen it until last year. And you have, you know. You have Patrick Swayze. You have um, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. I mean, I mean, but the first two, especially, are just like super like action guys. Yeah, you know. Totally. And so I feel like there is still so yes, like no, they're they're not actually drag queens in real life, but them playing it to me felt like something in powerful you sure. know Sure. well also having a-list actors like straight or not be in these movies kind of opens up the access to these stories to an audience yeah. that would never be exposed to them ever so by having wesley right. snipes in a dress it's kind of showing like hey it's fine like he doesn't have any qualms with it you know so it, there, there are benefits and and you know non-benefits so that that's kind of the the whole deal so at first, acclaimed director Gus Van Zant was originally attached to the project, and his choices for leading men included Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, Josh Hartnett, and Ryan Felipe. But one by one, the actors turned down the role either due to scheduling conflicts or the perceived career risk in taking on such a role. Van Zant eventually departed from the project to pursue his 2008 film, Milk, which is another fantastic film. Mm -hmm. But after Focus yeah. Feature CEO James Schamus purchased the film rights, he brought in director Ang Lee, who initially turned down the film in order to make Hulk, starring Eric Bana, uh, easily one <laughs> another, of the most forgettable Another gay classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, more like Bulge. Yeah, so uh, Lee, who not only made Hulk, but also made the legendary film Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, was exhausted and contemplated retirement, but he could not escape the feeling that he needed needed to make Brokeback Mountain. So in 2003, it was decided, and the film now had its director. The next key step was finding the right actors. It was Osana and McMurtry that suggested Heath Ledger for the role of Ennis Del Mar, the strong, silent one of the two leading roles. Upon reading the script, Ledger knew he wanted to play Ennis because of the subtleness of the personality, whereas Jake Gyllenhaal was cast as Jack Twist, the more lively, self-assured of the two. The producers of the film were unsure about the decision to cast Gyllenhaal and Ledger because of their age, but director Ang Lee was convinced from the start. Now, the actors spent a ton of time preparing for this. Like, they traveled to Wyoming to study the accents, like, especially Heath Ledger, who has a very particular accent. Like, in this I, in Heath field, Ledger. We, what do you mean? I kind of do a sling blade. Like, it's very close to sling blade. You know, so I'm just going to go full sling blade, but yeah. It's like marble. It's the marbles in your mouth. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, talking man. like this. Like, I got a couple marbles. Give Heath me a Ledger's kiss. accent. Give me another kiss, Jake. 
Heath, Heath Ledger's accent was incredible. And then, you know, kind of in addition to just the incredibly like heavy, sad themes of the movie, just the fact that Heath Ledger is, yeah. you know, no longer with us. And you're like, wow, like what a talent. He was a really he was a really fucking good actor. He was know? no like. And so. also, I mean, with Jet with. Jake Gyllenhaal's character, you know, he's got a little bit of a Texas accent, but he's more like flamboyant and stuff. When they're hurting in the movie, like, you really feel like Ennis Del Mar is, like, devastated. Like, and his strong, silent demeanor is, like, what kind of, like, delivers this, like, truly tangible it's the sense of pain. Well, it's the, t it's the tension. Yeah. There's a tension that they can't. They just because it's not only that, like, maybe they could be together, but then really it's about them. And it's that. Ennis won't he just can't like so yeah. it's not even that society won't let him it's just that he has he won't convinced let him. himself he won't let himself he's convinced himself that these two we as two men can never live together and be right. together yeah and like you know as we'll talk about it Jack kind of explores that aspect of his life a lot more than Ennis does mm -hmm. which calls into question yeah. like their actual sexualities of the characters but we're not quite there yet. Also, uh, they both like they would exchange books about gays in the mid or in the you know old west and like you know gay cowboy tales from from this period of time. There's a lot mm -hmm. of literature about that. Um, again, by the yeah. '90s, you have a lot of like historical materials and films being made and documentaries coming out about all this that really is teaching the public like on a mainstream level about the history and the plight it's, of the it's, LGBT. Yeah, it's trying crew, to. You know. Yeah, it, and and also. Yeah, just piercing sort of the myth of all these. It's like, how many cowboys? Yeah. And like, they were all just like in love with women. Yeah. No, you, you know, where like, it was a huge not... <laughs> place, like, like historically, like, okay, well, the whole reason why New York and San Francisco are hubs for gay men is because. Uh, World War II veterans coming over after the war was done, like, you know, they found their sexuality during the war with other soldiers and they knew yeah. that they didn't want to go back home to their small town so when they came back and they saw oh all these other men are staying in these harbor towns where we're yeah. getting dropped off they just decided to live there that's where the history yeah. comes from um yeah but also the the two actors took a lot of horseback riding lessons and stuff it was a very demanding role um for a movie yeah. that really doesn't have like it's a beautiful film visually, but there's not too much yeah. that went into the production of it. It's very simple. Not that many actors. A lot of the scenes are isolated, yeah. mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So once all of the contracts were finalized and the production was set to begin news spread of the ambitious project. And soon the film garnered a reputation of being that gay cowboy movie before any other details about it were released. Now, when people say gay cowboys, they're not talking Ennis Del Mar, who's got hands made out of calluses and like, you know, they're thinking village people. Like, so they're thinking like, right. giddy up, like shit like that. Right. They're not thinking exactly, like because what it is, the seriousness. Yes, because you know? I think that, and I think that's kind of part of the controversy or how it was able to be this big moment is because like we had said, there, there was starting to like emerge this sort of like, uh, like a more digestible image of, a gay character portrayed for like very mainstream audiences. Yeah. So if they were very flamboyant, very cosmopolitan, very dramatic, then it was kind of almost like harmless in a way to say like a more like heteronormative, like sensibility where you're like, Oh, that's like the gay guy. And he's like fun. And he has something witty and sassy and supportive to say. It's like, he's just like, he's just like your girlfriend or something. Right. Um, but so, so to actually, again, go, it's kind of like, these more just like the more masculine kind of idea yeah it's like and wait it, these are gay it's, guys it's, yeah it's like wait well i mean that could i like cowboy you know it's kind of like you might <laughs> identify you might <laughs> no exactly like it's like you the fear like you might identify with these people because they're not wearing flamboy you know like they're they're dressed right. like you or it's something it's not randy jones you know? the village people cowboy it's Fucking yes. two roughnecks. It's not you know? disco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, rough throats. Uh, so people, <laughs> you know, also almost all of the press that was centered around 
this was, was all about the rumors and the love scenes between these two like yeah. heartthrob teen beat actors like would they or wouldn't they how graphic was it gonna be like what does a gay mm -hmm. cowboy even look or sound like was this gonna hurt or like hurt or help the the movement right. you know the gay liberation and the actors experienced some animosity in their personal lives from family as friends as well like Jake Gyllenhaal you know told an interviewer that like a lot of his friends are like dude so you're gonna like kiss him like ugh. Right. <laughs> like it's like right. dude but these and again, that's what's so funny is that even though things are like certain things are accepted, it's still just kind of surreal to look at the, the timeline. The taboo is, stuff, was there 20, it, 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. so production of Brokeback Mountain began in 2004. Despite the story taking place in Wyoming and Texas, the film was actually shot in Alberta, Canada for cost reasons. The film's total budget was $14 million, a relatively small amount for the caliber of talent that the film boasted. But as we will discover, every penny was well spent. In a strange turn of events, the most dis difficult aspect of making the film was not the pressure put on the actors during the most intimate scenes, but rather the use of live sheep during the herding scenes. The Environmental mm. Protection <laughs> Agency of Alberta would not allow the film crew to bring domesticated sheep into the mountains for filming out of fear of spreading disease to the indigenous wildlife. Like, I mean, we're talking a huge number of There's sheep, several yeah. hundred, okay, and they're real. And I mean, that's funny because that's actually kind of a subplot of the movie is, the is sheep. that when is when they have sex, they aren't watching the sheep. Yeah. And so then so then they lose some sheep and then the boss knows that something's up because fucking they lost idiots some just sheep. listening to their dicks <laughs> like fucking meanwhile, the, who has to suffer for the fucking workers incompetence? The boss. Yeah. Played exactly. by Randy Quaid. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, well, incredible. Well, <laughs> There's well, a really good cast. I kept being like, wow, you're in it. And this is pre-sex like, tape Randy Quaid. Like pre-manifestos like mm -hmm. manifestos from his like Alaskan cabin with a giant fucking beard and no shirt on, uh, which he like <laughs> ended up becoming after. This is like kind of his last major role, really. Um, so, yeah, hundreds of sheep. Eventually an agreement was reached and the film crew would have to drive the sheep out from the mountains at the end of every shooting day and house them off-site until the next day, which is a huge hassle. But also, it kind of lends itself to this meta Brokeback Mountain thing where what if, like, the handlers whose job is literally exactly. what the character's job the, is, they're yeah. like, well, I guess we got to take these sheep back. And it's like, yeah. why don't you come in the tent? Yeah. It's kind of cool. What if, like, the handlers yeah. of the actual <laughs> sheep behind the scenes are having their own Brokeback Back romance, romance. Yeah. and they yeah. just happen to be named Ennis and Jack, and there's like no relation, <laughs> no relation. But we do have to herd this sheep and take them back offsite every day, and no one can know, or else we'll get fired. Like there really could be a side exactly. plot running along of yeah. a real Brokeback Mountain romance, a Brokeback romance. That's what I like to think happened. So while the filming of Brokeback Mountain was for the most part uneventful, there were a few troublesome moments worth mentioning. Firstly, there is a scene where the two cowboys are hunting an elk. Animal rights activists discovered that in order to get the perfect shot of the elk being shot on cue, they actually shot it with a real tranquilizer dart, a practice that violated animal handling practices in film. Like, they shoot this elk, and it, like, oh, like, acts like it got shot. It's like, how does an elk learn how to get shot? Well, they fucking shot it. Mm -hmm. That's how. They just shot it with a yeah. dart. So that, yeah. that's like that's a big part of it. Uh, Michelle Williams, who portrayed Ennis Del Mar's wife, Alma, and who was actually Heath Ledger's actual wife and right. girlfriend, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, gave birth to their, their child. She sprained her ankle and her scenes were rewritten to have her be sitting or moving very little. Not that big of a deal, but interesting. And Heath Ledger, known for his strong dedication to his craft, wounded his hand pretty badly after punching a concrete wall in one of his scenes. Uh where and the scene is great it's after jack like they go their separate ways after their summer is over and uh yeah he realizes he's probably not going to see this guy again so he like goes into an alley throws up mm -hmm. and then punches a wall and he really punched the mm -hmm. wall and like broke a knuckle um yeah but also during one of their rougher kissing scenes because these guys like they're not like giving each other like pecs like they're like mauling each other and uh you know in a very manly way like the, you know there's nothing like feminine yeah, about about their physical interactions but he nearly broke jake gyllenhaal's nose like grasping mm -hmm. him so hard and slamming his fucking face into his yeah. face it's kind of like a trope a bit of the two very masculine guys and they start like wrestling and they're like rolling around and then all of a right. sudden they like 
come to a stop. They're breathing heavy. Yeah. And they're like very, cl- their like, faces are really it. close to each other. And they're like, okay, wow, yeah, maybe there's something more here. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. And, and, but, I mean, and also like kind of like this thing where it's like there has to be violence first. Like they're kind of violent to each other. Right. Until they like the, there's like the veneer of like we ha- we're men, we have to be violent and then Well, th- and there's a tradition that, of that. Can be, there's a tradition yeah. of that in film. There, there, there was, it's kind of a movie trope. Yeah. Well, there, there was a there was a film called Women in Love which was written for the screen by Larry Kramer who founded Act Up, which is the biggest like AIDS activist group in, in the world and they did a lot of great stuff and Larry Kramer wrote mm-hmm. a lot of highly influential books and plays um yeah. One of which, like the probably the most controversial, I won't say the word, but it's the F word, and that's what the title of the book mm-hmm. is called. But yeah. he wrote a movie called Women in Love, and there's a famous scene where two guys, you know, they're having brandy by the fire, and they're like, should we wrestle? And it's like, yes, we should. Uh, yeah. And so they get butt naked, uh-huh. and like it slowly dissolves into like, whoa, what's going on here? And the sex mm-hmm. scene, because really there only is one sex scene in Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. And let's, it's rough. Let's talk about yeah, let's talk about the movie for a second because yeah, sure. it's my first. Yeah, so I will say the sex scene. I was aware of it happening, and it's like he spits on his hand. Yeah, and goes it goes in quick. Like he and, knew um, enough to do that. Like he didn't like, which is interesting. But like, right, and also like Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal like kind of gets in the doggy position real quick. Like, like he, he kind of he he knew. he knew what to do. They didn't have to have I, a I talk say, about it. I I was a little surprised because first off, loved the movie. Uh, beautifully shot. These like amazing scenes of Canada posing as Wyoming. It acts uh, to just, like, give go- the isolation truly like a, yes, a spotlight. It does. Um, but I I was like a little taken aback by when the sex scene happened because it seemed to have just come out of nowhere. Like it escalated very quickly. As it does. But I guess. But I guess it was also part of that theme of just like, this is sort of like, this is taboo. So it's not like a typical romance that kind of has these phases. It was like this tension building. And then all of a sudden. And hey, they they were really cold. That's the whole thing. They were very cold. Cold enough. They were very cold. Yeah. But there's only only one sex scene in it. It's very famous. I also... um, realized there was multiple lines from the movie that I had actually heard a lot and I had I just didn't realize it was from it. Like I mean there were, well I knew there was one. There's the you know, I wish I could quit you. Um and then there's the um Jack Twist. Oh Jack, Jack Nasty. Nasty. That's the best um, dude. That's the that that's line, my favorite so it's, Jack Twist. So she's Jack yeah, Nasty. so one so so Ennis's wife you know, because the whole thing is they keep sort of like leading this lie and they have wives and he's t- and Ennis is talking about Jack Twist and his wife is like Jack Twist, more like Jack Nasty. But she just says Jack Twist, Jack, Jack Nasty. Nasty. And it's 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 really good. It's also a little funny. You and feel bad the really, for, um, for her. And the only reason why she knows, like, so here's another, like, subtle difference between the characters. Jack Twist is very aware of what's going on inside of him. And, again, he's the one that wants to pursue an actual relationship. So he's better at keeping that part of himself separate from his family life. Whereas Ennis, because he doesn't, it doesn't really, like, like, it's not as... Like he doesn't wear it on his sleeve as much, so he gets yeah. a little sloppy when Jack Twist comes over for their first fishing mm-hmm. trip, quote unquote. Yes. And uh, they mm-hmm. start like making out like crazy, like and the wife sees them, and it's just like, and then yeah. she deals with yeah, that she, for like almost. years, you know, like just holding yeah. that in. And they both, and then they both, um, and then um, Jack's uh, wife is played by Anne Hathaway, who right. changes hair colors like three times in the movie. She's, she looks great in that film. Uh, no, she's great. She's really great in it. Um, also, I wanted to say there was like a couple other people. There was um, the guy who like played the cop in Stranger Things. Oh is, shit! That is who that guy he, is. He kind of he's kind of like the third gay guy. So basically, yeah. because because Ennis, as their relationship goes, Ennis kind of is putting up almost more walls. He's making it more difficult for them to continue the relationship because it's consuming he, he, him more and more. So he's fighting it yeah. more and more. And he's fighting it. And eventually, at some point, Jake Gyllenhaal actually kind of is getting the signs from this other, like, cowboy that, like, yeah, like, we could have We a could thing. go fishing, and too. It's, and it's, yeah, it's kind of alluded to that he does it. And that, that was a Stranger Things guy. And then 
Ah, oh, shit. There was like someone else. Like people just kept popping up. Oh, oh like um, shit. The girl, Amy. Oh, I can't remember her name right is now. Is it Amy? Linda, Linda Cardellini. Linda Cardellini, oh. who was in Freaks and Geeks, who I. Right, right. Yeah. She's like, she, she like falls in love with Ennis and then is also still, you know, kind of this whole thing where she can't really reach out to yeah, him. But for I just two hillbilly like, gay men, they sure get a lot of women, you know? Like yeah. they, they don't yeah. have any problem with, with the ladies. It's it's the guys they have problem. But also they're, Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. he goes down to like Mexico for male prostitutes. Mm-hmm. At, at, yes. Like at one point, and you're just like, oh damn! Like he's really going for it. Like you know, like he's, yes, he's complete. Yeah. And, and that makes him angrier because he's like, I'm able to go out and do this shit. Why don't you yeah. do this? Like you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, why, right. why won't and- you just let me be your fucking partner? You know, that's that's where the like the drama comes from it but it's it's really well done i mean i was i guess like and we'll get it we're gonna get into that but i think maybe some of all the negativity about it i just didn't i don't know i didn't know but it was just it's such all a good dumb, movie it's all it wasn't founded it wasn't it wasn't like it didn't feel like extreme or exploitative i could see how you know I, I would be open to like if someone from the gay community is like doesn't feel like it represents well but to me as a movie I don't know it just felt really good the other yeah. quote the other famous quote that um was the stem the rose I was gonna say that um, dude yeah and <laughs> and so so he because basically That's so Randy scene. Quaid is the boss and he sees them like horse playing horsing around he sees him kissing <laughs> um and so he knows that they that that's what they've been up to out there and then Jake Gyllenhaal comes back for work because he's hoping that maybe Ennis is is, is going to come there. back too. Yeah, and ran, and he says something like, "You were supposed to be herding the sheep, but you he, were like, stemming no, the rose." Yeah, he said, "You boys sure found a way to pass the time up there." He's yeah, like, yeah. And, he's um, like, "I'm not paying you I, to go up there like, and stem the rose." Whoa. And you know what's and actually because then I was like trying to look it up and it seems like that phrase was written. In that script, just, like I don't that's think just it was an a OG. F- that's an original. <laughs> th- like they created, like I don't think that that phrase necessarily existed before the movie. Well, he could have um, said like a billion other like terrible. Things. Like I'm not paying you boys to go up there and punch each other's Cheerios or like fucking like, <laughs> like any like terrible fucking yeah. terrible fudge pack. Like just like whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like you guys are sheep herders, not fudge packers. Like you, you could yeah. like there's this thing, but in uh, and his character's name is like. Uh, like Mr. Agari, but like Joe Agari is the character's name. But there's also kind of this sense of like, he kind of let them off easy because he could have just totally exposed them and like had like, you know, Mm -hmm. rallied up a posse to like, like gay bash them or something. And he didn't. He's just like, you ain't working for me anymore. You gross me out. Like kind of a deal. And, And actually, and that brings up one other thing I wanted to mention is that there's, it kind of maybe is Ennis's, uh, motivation or sort of a reason why he is much more unable to embrace it is because when he was a child, there were these two oh, yes. gay gay ranchers, and he witnessed the they they got beat up once they got found out they got uh, beaten to death. Well, they they had their dicks child, they had their dicks tied to horses, oh, yeah. and had their fucking dicks right. tore off, and then the dad yes. and his dad brings Ennis and his brothers up to see the dead guy's bodies to yeah. be like, don't be a guy yeah. that lives on a ranch with another yeah. guy. Cause we'll tear your dicks yeah. off of the horse. Definitely. And so, and, and, uh, but also again, it's really well done because the story is very disturbing, but it's only told and it's not actually shown. So like, it's just, it, I don't know. It does a very good job of kind of instilling the fear of homophobia and the fear of being outed without necessarily showing it too much. But then to spoil it. Yeah. When, um, when Jack dies, uh, you know, the, he dies from this like freak accident. But when Ennis hears the story, he creates this fantasy that he got found out and yes. beaten to death. And we don't and know so what, kind of, what the truth kind of, is, really. I guess they yeah, kind of leave it open. Actually, yeah. It does feel like maybe she, maybe there was a cover up. Yeah. Who knows? Because but. the way that Anne Hathaway's character tells Ennis over the phone, because the whole thing was Ennis sends Jack another postcard. It comes back with a deceased stamp on it. So he calls the wife and the wife is like, 
very unmoved, like just super cold and withdrawn telling him. And mm-hmm. she tells him that he was changing a tire and it blew up and the, the hubcap hit him in the yeah. face and killed him. But then like it flashes and it shows him being like bashed by like three guys and beaten to death. And like, you know, it, you kind of have to interpret it the, the way that y- you it's will. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like either that's his you know, fear coming out and assuming that's what happened or it's her like covering up a scandal. Right. So and and yeah, then the most, really the most beautiful so. thing uh, of the film is at the very end, like, you know, you find out that when they were up and broke back mountain that first summer, they get into a fist fight when they're getting ready to leave just because the emotions are running so high and they both bled onto their shirts. And then Ennis, when they get back, he's like, I can't believe I lost my shirt up there. Then at the very end of the movie, Ennis goes to visit Jack's parents. He goes up into his room and he finds hidden both of the, their shirts from their summer at Brockback Mountain, like mm, folded yeah. into each other, hanging there. And so he takes it with them and he keeps it as like a keepsake. And it's very, very touching. And at the end of the movie, it's, he just looks at it and he yeah. goes, Jack, I swear. And like, that's, <laughs> that's the fucking, yeah, the moment. It's but a, to me, it's an, inten- it's an emotionally intense movie. Yeah, totally. Yes. But you could totally have had a lighthearted sequel where it's like, Ennis is like, <laughs> okay, well, like I've spent too much of my life hiding. And so he moves to like the Castro in San Francisco and starts like really going for it. Kind of like Jim Carrey's character. And uh, I love you, Philip Morris, like where he's just like, he was a cop. <laughs> and then he's just like, fuck it. Like I went through this terrible thing. I need to live my life and so then like and it's like you girls going to drag brunch or like <laughs> like <laughs> what is this cologne poppers i'll give it a sniff like just like shit like that just like living his best fucking life like that's what i want i want to see like like a mashup of like ennis like where he's like got a job dancing dancing as a, well, they call them you know go-go you boys do? you should you should write that, and you should and send, send it, it to, to Annie Prue. <laughs> yeah. It's bad enough for we're including her like fucking life defining story on a show called Culture Dumps. I don't think she needs to hear right. my my pitch for a lighthearted <laughs> romp starring Ennis <laughs> Del Mar. <laughs> you know. Okay, that, I just want to talk about the movie. Let's get to the dump, the reception. Okay. You know, like that's the dump. Okay. So, Brokeback Mountain was released in theaters on December 9th, 2005. While the initial release was limited to independent theaters, over the course of the next year, it was released in thousands of theaters domestically and eventually internationally. And for the most part, it was praised by film critics, but there were several conservative critics and commentators that saw the film as a threat to the family unit. And because of this, theater owners in cities with a conservative Christian majority refused to screen the film. Despite this, Brokeback Mountain raked in $178 million worldwide. That is fucking a lot of fucking money uh, based upon their $14 million budget. Uh, Also, internationally, it was released and like, you know, they always translate the titles differently or there will be a different way to market the film depending on the way the, the culture of whatever countries go. Some of my favorite ones, like in Spain, it was released, the, the title translated to In Forbidden Terrain, which kind of sounds like a mm. sleazy paperback. Uh, in South America, mm-hmm. it was Secret in the Mountain. But my mm. favorite is the Hungarian one. It's Beyond Friendship. <laughs> like the, the- I mean, isn't that the truth? Ain't it the truth? Yeah, def- it is definitely truth? beyond friendship. Yeah, the, one thing you can say is they were more than friends. Now, uh, many countries banned the film due to its homosexual content, and some released re-edited versions that cut any references to homosexuality, which made the plot incredibly hard to follow. Because without their gay relationship, the film is just about is, two guys no whose wives are just mad at them all the time, and you have no idea yeah, why. That's insane. Like, it's just two There's guys no living movie. shit lives whose wives are always pissed at them. If you had no idea, it's so fucking funny. So the negative pushback by conservative media figures such as Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh did very little to stop the momentum of the film's success, but it definitely helped fuel the lame homophobic cliches that in a lot of ways became the film's legacy. Rush Limbaugh referred to the film as Humpback Mountain or Bareback Mountain, uh, which I heard a ton at this time. And many news sources and pop culture commentators viewed the film as, again, nothing more than that gay cowboy movie. There were several cringeworthy interviews with the film's cast that revolved around the risks the actors were taking. I have quotes around risks, along with their experiences with the love scenes. Rather than focusing on the complexities of the characters and the sheer visual beauty of the film, it seemed that all people really cared about was that there was two guys kissing. 
like and Brokeback yeah. itself became it slang for gay. Yeah, I I want to talk about that itself. Yeah, it was almost like um, you know, you know, you're you know, you're like, "Oh, I what'd you do this weekend? I went to the ca- cabin with my friends." Like, "Oh, you, oh broke you went back to Brokeback Mountain. Mountain or like, you know, don't go broke back on me." And yeah. so it really like that became part of the yeah, like the pre-meme meme of it all. I will say that the name Brokeback Mountain itself in retrospect seems to be like I guess it just it's a really good name because something about that name kind of made it easy to be memed or something. You know, like it yeah, could have well, been it called was be- it, was before it could have been called but- Forbidden Terrain or like, you know, Beyond Friendship, but like it's something about like that name, especially in the US, just immediately and maybe because it's broke back and they're like could almost be like a sexual interpretation yeah, like, oh, he, of dude, like he blew his back out, yo. With those exactly. Back shots. So it kinda it kinda has that like connotation. So it something about the name itself of the movie is very powerful and kind of lent itself to becoming or just like allowed for a meme to happen. You there know? was like a, a big tweaker like uh, camp in this wash by my old old place, and uh, we would call it Smoke Crack Mountain, like because it was exactly. all these like, it was drug like addicts so many... hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, and that yeah, it became like a phrase of like yeah, totally like it became a, an idea, like you know, all over the world. Us- but, but usually with a with like a negative kind of homophobic absolutely to it. Yeah, so. so all of the teenage bro opinions of the film did not matter once award season hit. Brokeback Mountain won a total of 38 awards, including three Academy Awards, one for Best Adapted Screenplay, one for Best Director, and for Best Score, because that score is fucking everything. It's but amazing. the film was nominated for Best Picture, which according to the opinion of several reputable film historians and members of the Motion Picture Academy, should have won, but due to the old-timey beliefs of those in charge, the award was given to Crash instead. And that was a big turning yeah. point for the Oscars. Uh and actually, um, Crash almost maybe is a dump um, because Crash is now kind of considered uh, one of the biggest mistake best picture Oscars of all time right. because because it won because Crash deals with like this race. like all these race racial ish, race, racial issues and it's one of those <laughs> movies that now, when you when you watch it now. You're, it is like the definition of like cringy, right? And so I think that it was so obviously of the time of people being like, "Wow, this is like a movie about race and like how we're all still humans." So like it needs to win, and it's kind of considered one of the worst best picture Oscar movies. So yeah, that could be a dump. Yeah, and you know, it, I mean. Brokeback Mountain should have won. Like, there's this weird thing where if you win best screenplay and you win best director, isn't that mean? Doesn't that mean that you have the best movie? Like, if the script was the <laughs> right. best and the person that directed it was the best at directing a movie, doesn't that mean that that's the best fucking right. movie? Like, how the mm-hmm. fuck? But that's why it became yeah. so obvious to people that, like, oh, like they're taking the safe route here because that mm-hmm. would just be too much which is interesting because in 1999 the film Boys Don't Cry came out which is about the true story of Brandon Tina a trans man living in Nebraska who was brutally raped and murdered by two of their like seemingly friends at the time it was played mm-hmm. by Hillary Swank she won best actress like yeah. it was nothing new for the Oscars to you know like recognize these films that have to do with, you know, like LGBTQ stories and themes. But right. for some reason, Brokeback Mountain just hit such a nerve with, with people. It, it, it really yeah. did mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way different way. I think with the difference between like Boys Don't Cry was that the discussion of trans lives at that time was so tiny that it like it's it was almost being perceived as like fiction it was, it was or more it, under the radar. It, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Whereas this was like so close to home. Uh, and it was like, you know, two of the biggest hunks in Hollywood and all that. Yes. But that was a big turning point for the Oscars. However, that same year, Philip Seymour Hoffman won Best Actor for his portrayal as Truman Capote, and Felicity Huffman Mm -hmm. won Best Actress for her role in Transamerica. Both are considered to be iconic films of the LGBTQ genre that, along with Brokeback Mountain, helped break down several barriers that kept films like these from entering the mainstream. So it's like, 
on one hand, it's like, well, we can give them best this, best that, best this, but we can't do best picture overall. We, we, yes. we we're not ready um, for that yet. Also, it's worth noting, um, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal won, uh, MTV movie awards, best kiss of 2006, mm. which sounds silly because it's the MTV movie awards and they have a category best kiss, but for MTV to recognize like this yes. particular kiss is kind of important. And I want to play the sample of Jake Gyllenhaal's acceptance speech. In all seriousness, I, I have to say that this is a, this is a, 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 a real honor, not just for, for me and Heath, but for all of you that you picked this, this movie and this kiss over all the other ones. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Thank you, not just from me, but from all those people struggling with love, which is all of us. Thanks. So there is kind of a recognition that like it, it meant more and it was breaking down barriers. Yeah. And while the Oscars I, yeah. is a good example, I feel like winning the MTV movie award for best kiss is even a bigger one because yeah. that's the demographic of people making most of the jokes about it. Yes. And it kind of like was showing it was saying that like, no, this movie. Yeah. does, does have an impact on people on people, you know? Yeah. And so it's like a weird moment where, yes, the MTV Movie Awards actually kind of <laughs> showed up more <laughs> than the Oscars. Up, yeah, <laughs> kind of stepped up. But, yeah, uh, but also like, and we could get into it forever. But I mean, the Oscars is a huge institution and has a million. I mean, they're always kind of behind the times, and then right. they're always reacting. Well, it's also now, funny. Of course, the Oscars. You know, because well, like we don't we don't have to talk about all that shit. But you know, if you yeah. if you flash forward to 2017, um, when they announced Best Picture, and Adam and I discussed this on the award show Mega Mix episode, but um, like, you know, they they announced that La La Land, arguably probably the whitest film of the last 20 years, won Best Picture, but then. Wait, yes. there was a mistake. And someone runs on stage. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Moonlight. You win. Moonlight, a film about right. you know gay men of color, like living in Florida, I think yeah. it was, like winning, mm -hmm. like kind of shows like how like the, the Oscars had changed, you know, or at least that's the like image they wanted to portray. But they even wanted to do it bigger where it's just like, oh, you thought we were going to pick La La Land. That'd be too easy. But actually, no, look, Moonlight really won. Mm -hmm. And it's like this yeah. weird fucking thing. It's weird. Yeah. So in an Oscar unprecedented show of support, 800 of the film's supporters raised $26,000 to place an advertisement in Daily Variety in which they thanked the entire cast and crew of Brokeback Mountain for creating such an impactful and inspiring film that touched the lives of so many people. People were so upset that it didn't win Best Picture after everything that it like had been, you know, all the hours of mm -hmm. media coverage of it and everything else and all the accolades and the 38 awards that won like you know golden globes and fucking everything else um that they got together to take out a full page ad basically being like this should have won just because it didn't we don't like it doesn't mean that this isn't the most important film of the year blah 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 uh, kind of impressive it's also impressive yeah. that it cost twenty six thousand dollars to get a full page ad Crazy. Jesus. So there's two moments in the history of Brokeback Mountain that we must quickly discuss in order to keep up our dump cred. The first was in former owner of the Utah Jazz, Larry H. Miller, had the film removed from an entertainment complex in Sandy, Utah, due to the lack of any resemblance of a traditional family. And to me, I'm like, okay, San like, but fuck Utah. Okay, but not to be insensitive, but, but you know, but wherever, <laughs> anywhere USA, Utah, um, Dude, I'm sure that most families resemble this where, yes, they have wife and kids, they drink and dad's got a secret. I'm sure that's way more yeah. resemblant of a of a traditional family mm -hmm. where you're from yeah. than you fucking want to admit, bud. But yes. anyways, focus features threatened to sue and the screenings were able to commence. And the second was a lawsuit filed by Randy Quaid. So Randy Quaid starred as Joe Aguirre, the man who initially hires Delmar and Twist, and Quaid claimed that he was misled when it came to the film's distribution. He was said he was led to believe that the film was a small-budget art house movie with little prospect of making any profit, so he agreed to a smaller fee than he would normally ask for. And according to Quaid's publicist, he was granted a settlement, although Focus Features denies this. And I remember that being a thing, too, because like this was one of those films where it made shit tons 
tons of the box office, but it made even more with at home rentals, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. you know, the you depending on your contract, you would get percentages of the rental amounts. Same with DVD sales. Right. And he was like, what the fuck? No one told me like everyone in the world was going to rent this shit. And like everyone in the world was going <laughs> to buy this fucking DVD. The copy I have of it, by the way, was a used copy from Hollywood video. Like when they would like sell <laughs> off all their extras. Right. You know? I remember that. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. I got one of those. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the story of Brokeback Mountain. And I can't stress enough that it just is great. And the dump of it truly was like the jokes surrounding it, and with and the and the yes. very small amount of understanding that like the right. general public had, you know. Mm-hmm. So what does it all mean? Uh, well, Brokeback Mountain is inarguably an important film in the history of cinema. It truly helped bring LGBTQ stories to a mainstream audience, and along with Trans America and Capote, showed that there could be films about alternative lifestyles that did not need to be funny or exploitative, but real and moving. And while the film is looked back on by some as a whitewashed story starring two straight men as gay characters, in my opinion, it was handled tactfully and gracefully. The film industry has always had problems with inclusion and diversity, but we are seeing a slow progress in a positive direction, and we have films like Brokeback Mountain to thank for that. Is it just that gay cowboy movie? No, my friends. It is THE gay cowboy movie. That's what Brokeback Mountain means to me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, another thing that I found interesting, though, was that a lot of like LGBTQ writers and critics, like examining the film in retrospect, they do have differing uh, like opinions on the nuances. Like, for instance, some believe that the characters are actually bisexual. You know, like which. Mm. And like, but well, with Jack have... Twist leaning more yeah. towards the gay end of the spectrum, whereas Ennis leaned more mm. towards the straight end of the spectrum. But they I mean, both they are having the... children, so something. Right, but I mean, that's I mean. You know, that's also, you know, you tug on it long enough, the stuff will come out, you know, so like anyone, like anyone, depending on what you're into, (laughs) can have a fucking kid. You know, it doesn't take much to to be a to be a father. It takes a lot to be a dad. But uh, as they say, but also, you know, uh, in some cases, they've said that, like, well, Jack Twist seems kind of predatory because he took he got Mm. Ennis drunk in a tent and took his hand and put it down his pants and like blah, blah, blah. And without Jack Twist Mm. Ennis, but I'm like, you know, I, I don't buy that at all. Um, no, that, you know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it's worth, it's worth it to watch it no matter what, even if you want to go into it tongue in cheek, which this film will prove you wrong by the end, but no matter who you are, yeah. like the film, it's about connection. It's about longing. It's, and it's not about sex and it's not really even about cowboys. So that's right. That's the deal. Yeah. I think, I think like it's a really good movie. I think like, as we see anything through time kind of reflects the time it was in. And then you might then later see like a flaw to it. And I, I think like there are some, you know, flaws um, and because, you know, because again, it is still, it's not exactly gay people telling their story. It is like a portrayal of, right. You know that, but it's, I still thought it was a fantastic movie. Yeah. And I do think that again, there is sort of that weird thing of like, just, the you know finding the mainstream of acceptance and you know is it that you have to have Heath Ledger like you know whatever I don't know it's still it's still I think it I think it serves a place and I was very happy with watching it I was how like how just it was it was just a really really good movie and absolutely pleasure is an incredible actor the film is not the dump the reputation yes, is the dump exactly so exactly fo- exactly so folks make sure you tune into our patreon patreon.com slash culture dumps for all sorts of exclusive materials you can only find and listen to there also follow us on instagram at culture dumps send us emails at culture dumps at gmail.com i can't quit you i'm ryan lichten here with parks miller Keep on dumping and stick around because we're going to play the entire version of Connor Lichten's rendition of the Brokeback Mountain score.